You are listening to the Vineyard Nordic podcast. We invite you to join us on the exciting journey of following Jesus and bringing the kingdom of God wherever we go. This episode was recorded at the Vineyard Nordic Summer Camp. Okay, let's start. Time is is running and help me to uh, close. Uh, we'll see the line for the lunch, and then we know it's about time. Let's pray. Uh, Father, bless our time together. Open our hearts. Mm. Let us see what you see. Let us receive what's from you and just forget about the rest. Thank you, Lord, for inviting us to Be in your presence, being allowed to come close, being allowed to enter the Holy of Holies. It's unbelievable, but the veil is down and we can go all the way up. Help us to see what worship is really all about, God. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay, guys. Uh, I'm, uh, I've been doing uh, music for 35 years. I worked in the Christian music industry since 1983. Yeah, that's a long time. <laughs> I, I must be very old. <laughs> very old. Uh, what I'm going to share is... After 35 years, I struggle. I have to confess that. I struggle with what we call contemporary worship. And I will share some of my thoughts. I will uh, share some of the things that I believe is really the core value of what worship is all about. And I will include my story so you will understand the progression that I've been through. And I think I'm not the only one. I think this could be many people's story. Uh, so you listen, and you test, and you keep what you think is good. And if you think that man is not, he doesn't have a clue what he's speaking about, you just drop it. Or you challenge me and say, Lois, hmm, I don't understand what you say. Help me. And we have the whole camp where we can talk and discuss this. Now let me just start off, I think, in the... In the uh, Introduction to the seminar, it says something about, can an artist be a worship leader? Can a worship leader be an artist? Of course. <laughs> of course. You can be the best artist in the world and you can be a worship leader. It's not about your profession. It's not about, you know, that you have the stamp of a worship leader. It's about your ability to lead people to Jesus without getting in the way, basically. So if you're a dentist, or if you're a nurse, or if you're a carpenter, that has nothing to do with it. It has to do with your heart and your passion for God and your ability to help others to, to, to uh, come into the presence of God. 
Have you ever heard about the name Tommy Thunderbird? Anyone? Have you heard about a band called Airplay? Yes, of course. <laughs> well, Airplay was in the 80s one of these super groups. What we call West Coast music. Slick, nice, not provocative music. The Christians loved it because it was so it was so nice. It was so nice. Well, Tommy Thunderbird, he came to, to Stockholm and had a concert uh, with the band, and you know. You know what concerts are all about. It's cheering, it's, yeah, I've seen him alive, and all that. And then on Sunday morning, he came to the Vineyard Church in Stockholm and then worshipped. And with a wonderful heart, with a wonderful ability to not be an artist, taking space. He just had the ability to separate what he did as an artist and what he did as a musician. And that's not always that easy, I think. It's, it's a pretty challenging thing. And let's face it, uh, there is a lot of challenges in our generation. Especially, I would say, the younger generation that has grown up with the whole American Idol, X Factor, all that focus on, 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 on becoming something and where the stage is sort of the platform where you're being fulfilled, right? Uh, and the culture also where almost for many years the only option to be a Christian musician has been to play in a worship band. When I was young, we had bands, rock bands. We had tons of bands touring, and you played as, as a Christian musician, and you played pop songs, and sometimes you, you had to ask the writer, what was it really about? Was it about God, or was it about your girlfriend? I don't really understand the, the lyrics, and, you know. But then, and I will come into this, the change shifted from performance to worship, and there's a reason for that. And you, of course, there's nothing wrong being with being known, it not, has nothing to do with it. It's not that the worship leader should come uh, disguised, you know, with a bag over the head. <laughs> like, what's the artist? Sia, right? Yeah. She never shows her face. Yeah. Well, you don't have to be like that. It's not about that. You can be known, respected, loved, appreciated. I mean, think about John the Baptist. What did he do? Well, he fulfilled the calling that God had on his life, right? Mm -hmm. And he became known. Because the presence of God was with him. People came out and they got baptized. And they even said, John, are, are you the Messiah? Mm -hmm. It's like, whoa. You know, for a Jew to be asked, are you the Messiah? A whole nation has one longing, and that is for the Messiah fulfill the promises of God. And someone asked, are you the Messiah? I mean, my ego would blow up like a <laughs> balloon. And what is John saying? How do we keep our hearts in tune with John the Baptist? We don't. <laughs> <laughs> 
I had this wonderful slide. And something happened, my friend, with the projector. Okay, let's go again. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Hey, let's forget about this. It's just, I spent 14 hours. 40? What? <laughs> John's disciples come and say, you know, that Jesus is baptizing more than, than you do, you know. He's taking your ministry. Mm. And John says, wow, this is the assigned moment for him to move into the center while I slip off to the sidelines. Mm -hmm. Such a beautiful example and so hard for us to deal with. I read an article is it okay that I sit down? Yes. Yeah, because of my age, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I read an article uh, that a worship pastor wrote, and he said like this, modern worship has become so individualistic and consumerist that the church now more closely resembles a concert hall, where the church visitors functions as passive observers and critics, then a place of celebration where you socialize and actively participate in common worship. Okay, this is from an American perspective. This guy is an American worship leader. Uh, but the question is, is this true for us in the Nordic, in our culture? Is there anything in that that we also are facing? Uh, is it a problem? I mean, isn't high-class worship a unique opportunity to attract people to come to church? What, what's the wrong with that? What's the wrong with getting rid of all traditions, bondages, you know, can't do, can do, all that? And for some, this is not even an issue. The main thing must be for people to come to faith, go to church, and live as disciples. All right? Mm -hmm. Well, 
that we can worship with relevant music, the music that we love, the music that we listen to, the music that we love to play, because it makes worship even more meaningful and attractive. Or, you know, the term seeker-sensitive, that was born out of a longing for the church to be more um, communicative, to make the church service much more attractive to non-Christians and to people that have issues with the church. And what is wrong with that? Well, there are people that are raising a finger of warning because they see that the backside, the downside of all this, is an emerging self-centered culture where even the foundations of how we worship has been altered a bit. Uh, a culture where some churches are cooler than others. In fact, sometimes you choose the church depending on the worship in the church. That becomes the most important factor for you when, when you choose your uh, church. The criticism is not so much about the style of music. Uh, you know, it's, it's not, that's not the biggest issue. I think it's more about how do we do it? How is it done? Uh, is there a risk that worship and entertainment is being mixed? How do we deal with that? Is it a risk that we go from worshippers to consumers. We sort of come in and we relax and we just enjoy some nice worship. In the same way we just put on a CD, well nobody puts on a CD anymore. <laughs> Do I have to explain what a CD is? No. no. <laughs> oh, you know. Uh, even, even this, which has become a problem for me, and maybe it's because I'm getting older, but I just struggle every time I cannot hear my own voice. And I struggle when I cannot hear the congregation. When I sing as loud as I can, and it's like shouting into a, a black hole. That, that, that's one thing that takes my focus away. Uh, it's personal, maybe. Maybe others think the same way. I don't know. Uh, have you heard about Rick Joyner? He used to be really well-known in the vineyard back in the 90s. He's an American pastor. Well, he says, God created music. Do we agree? Okay. Well, he said, God created music as a laser beam. And do you know what a laser can do? A laser can focus. It has the ability to focus. You can light up the moon with a laser. Now Rick says, that, that's the intention of God. It's to take music and put it, the light on me so people will see me and come and worship and be blessed and just lost in the wonders of who I am. And then Rick says, but when the light doesn't shine on him, it edifies the artist. And for some reasons, it seems that we are not able to deal 
with that sort of thing. And the line is unbelievably long with well-known, respected, loved, super talented artists that has tragically died in suicide, drug overdoses and all that. You know, the list is long. Huh? No, artists. Artists. I'm speaking about artists now. Yeah. I mean, you have everyone from, from Kurt Cobain to Janis Joplin to Amy Winehouse. And, and the list is long. There is even called something called the 27th Club. And could it be that they are, they are raised to a level where they cannot deal with life anymore? The pressure becomes enormous. They are never alone. They cannot, they cannot walk out on the street. They cannot go and have a fight in a restaurant because people would be, oh, there is, oh my goodness. <laughs> there is Matsu Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. I need this one about it. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, I know. But you do it so well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, if that is the case with music, well, there is, there is reasons for us to really be cautious uh, with how we structure our lives. And you have to understand, I'm coming from 35 years working in the Christian record industry. I've been working with so many, many, many artists. I've seen so many talents come and I see them disappear. And because the foundation, the root, uh, the church life, the understanding of God wasn't there. The, the, the mentorship, the people around them. And then, you know, you get this, this chance to maybe get a record deal, to just start to play in a band. And suddenly, you know, the pressure is immense. And if you don't really have a solid, solid foundation, it's hard. It's going to be hard anyway. I think it's, it's really hard for anyone that that gets success to deal with discipleship, basically. I mean, I don't know Justin Bieber at all. I, I just read, you know, what's in the papers. And Justin's been baptized. He's a part of the Hillsong. And still, you know, he seems to run into trouble every now and then. And, 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 and because he's a human being. And we all know our weaknesses, don't we? Mm -hmm. There's a guy that said, he's a very well-known church leader, he said, worship should be enjoyed, not endured. Mm -hmm. Meaning that worship should be fun, it should be culturally relevant, it should be lights, and it should be just great to go there and hang out and enjoy the band and, and praise God. Others say, hmm, can't really, really agree with that. Because worship is something that should challenge us. Worship, they say, comes with a cost. Sometimes you have to endure worship because your emotions are at a totally different place. There is nothing in you that says, God is good. So you, your feelings is not with you. It's only your understanding of God or your, your commitment to 
be there anyway that makes you raise your voice. And when we say worship is cool, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. Cool, what is cool? My, my church is so cool, man. My pastor, he's so cool, he has sneakers. And he speaks with his normal voice. He doesn't sound yeah. like, today we're going to speak about the Lord. When I grew up, that was the way it was, you know. You could tell when the pastor went up, because suddenly his voice changed. <laughs> My dear congregation, today we're going to read from... <laughs> it's not that, but... Yeah. Uh, all this, uh, the message that you were bringing mm. up, uh, for me, it's, uh, the answer is in everyone's heart. Everyone should take care of their own heart. Mm. So they can go into everything mm. with their heart and yeah. God in the middle of it. Exactly. But the, um, the, the framework yeah. for, for all of that, what are some huge things that the people who are in charge of worship and the framework can do? to facilitate that all of the people in the congregation can do that mm -hmm. with themselves. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the hard thing. Yeah. And do you have anything to say about that? What you've been doing through the years? Sorry. Wow. I mean, words. <laughs> words. I think it was Winston Churchill, the, the Prime Minister of, of England. He said that, I don't really care what people say. I just see what they do. Yeah, yeah. And and to be having people around you that can can mentor you, uh, to have a church where worship is not just the opening act yeah. to the rest. Uh, where you have a church that doesn't say, Is there anyone here that can play guitar? Yeah. Yeah? Okay, you can be the worship leader. It's like saying you don't need to know anything about God. You don't need to. to we, we don't even have. I, I went to church and this guy came in. Uh, actually, it was in our own church. <laughs> and, 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 and this guy came in for the first time. And, and uh, our pastor said, Hello, and who are you? And, oh, da, 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 and I moved here and I love music. Oh, do you want to be in our worship team? Yeah. It's, like, it's like lack of musicians instead of yeah, someone, a good worship leader. Exactly. Yeah. And it was like I said to him, You know, I don't think that's the proper way to do it. Let's have him here for a while. Let's get to know this guy. Let's see what is in his heart. Is he just searching for a platform, a way to play music? Or is this guy, you know, a servant? Uh, I, I think I will come back to it during, during um, the rest. I just want to uh, quote a man called Tozer. A Baptist pastor, and it's probably 50 years since he said this. In much of the church, the art of worship has been lost completely, and in its place has come something strange that is called program. This word has been borrowed from the stage world and is supplied with misunderstood wisdom on the type of public service name worship. This was long before we had anything called modern worship. I mean, this is back in the days of the hymns and the songs. And he just reacts about that 
the church service has turned from something with God in the focus to a program mm. where everyone has their place and then now it's the choir's time to sing and next time it's the the solo singer's time and then it's the duet couple they they should always have to sing once in a month you know instead of just what is it all about are we entertaining this crowd so they don't leave <laughs> us for another church or is this really the place of God where we come to give not come to receive as much so this is Tozer this is a modern leader in Sweden his name is Peter Haldor he is a Pentecostal pastor but a very unusual Pentecostal pastor he looks like a Greek priest and he's just an amazing man of God and he said this once at a conference that we arranged he said the church has no scene and if it has a scene it's not a church Okay, so let's go down there and then <laughs> take down the platform. Is that what it's meaning? That there cannot be a higher level where people are standing? No, of course not. It's not about that. What do you think he tries to say? Let's talk two and two for three minutes. Well, when did he say this? At the worship conference. Uh, what year? Because maybe back then they didn't have like... Mega churches. This was back in the year of 2008. Det er noget sekulært, på en eller anden måde. Ja. Det er noget sekulært, på en eller anden måde. Ja. Det er noget sekulært, på en eller anden måde. Ja. Det er noget sekulært, på en eller anden måde. Ja. Det er noget sekul
og søge ud. Det er det, sådan en kraftfuld ting for mig. Så jeg vil jo rigtig ked af, hvis det ikke var sådan en højere kvinde, der var så det er det en lille Så jeg vil gerne sige, at jeg kan komme til at 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 sige, at jeg kan komme i think you guys could, could keep on talking about this for the rest of the seminar <laughs> because it really in one sense it puts the light on, on, on this tension right there is a tension let's be honest and say there is always a tension when you go up on attention attention <laughs> Pay attention to the tension. Yeah. yeah. There is always a tension when you are up in front of people. There is a tension here. I, I am aware that you have given your time to come, and I want to be able to. Hopefully, you will leave and say, "Yeah, you know, it was okay." Or if you leave and say, oh, I wish I had taken the other seminar, <laughs> you know, that's, that's just the way it is. It is a tension every time you have to do something in front of people. Especially then, when we are in this culture of, of idolatry, in this culture of artists. Especially in a time and space where worship has become an industry. Because it has. I don't say that church worship is an industry. I say that that the industry have taken worship and made it the center of the industry focus. Yeah. You know, back in the 80s, you had the Amy Grants, you had the Petras, you had the Michael W. Smiths, and, and now you have the worship leaders, you have the Bethels and the Hillsongs and the Elevation and the, the uh, Worship Centrals and, and Jesus Culture. Uh, I'm thinking about how uh, it's easier for most to look to someone who has something they want and adore them and take a little bit instead of realizing that they are the same thing themselves. So if the, all worship leaders could know I'm not more than you, yeah. I'm not I'm equal to yeah. you, that would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, I bet there are yeah. thousands of worship leaders that are all like that. Yeah. And sometimes it's not even their problem, it's us yeah. Yeah. putting them on, on yeah. the platform. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, I'm, I've just seen some of the back side of the industry. I've seen some of the problems that these people face. You know, there are really well-known worship leaders that struggle with alcoholism. Because like any artist that has performed, there is this time of, and now what? I'm alone in my hotel room. You know, I poured my heart out. I feel empty. I long for my wife. What can I do to, to just ease the pain? Let's have a beer, let's have some wine, let's have a whiskey. Because we're just people, you know. And, and, uh, but let me just give you very shortly my background, because when I was a teenager, I became a Christian in 1968. And I grew up at a time when music changed history. 
because there has not been a decade like the 60s. And it's also the time when the concept teenagers started to evolve. And this came after the Second World War, when the economy was booming. And you had this generation of young people that suddenly didn't have to work in their parents' uh, factory or store. They went to college and they went to, to university. And suddenly they had money and they had a need to, to, to liberate themselves. Uh, uh, because before that, you became a grown-up when you did your confirmation. Do you say yeah. that? Yeah. Or for men, it was when you did your military service. That's when you became a grown-up. Before that, you were a child. And suddenly you have this concept of teenagers. Teenagers that want to rebel a bit. doesn't always have to be negative, because you have to make yourself free from your parents. That's just part of life. But music was like the fuel for a whole revolution that happened in the 60s. And you had bands like, you know, this is what I was... My goodness, I've been... Mats, can you play your hands? Uh, uh, you know, that was what I listened to when I, be when I became a Christian. That was on my walls in my teenage room, right? And these bands, they sang about stuff that really challenged the traditional society. And my parents, oh man. I mean, my hair was almost down to my ear, and my father says, you look like a man standing in an alley trying to kill people with a knife. <laughs> and I said, really? <laughs> because my hair is almost down to my ears? You know, these guys, they sang about sexual liberation. Remember the Stone song? Let's spend the night together. Now I'm... You know, let's spend the night together. You don't do that before you marry, right? I can't get no satisfaction. And you know, you are a teenager, you, your body is full of hormones. I mean, this is just, whoa! <laughs> Man, I sang those songs with my, I was like worshiping almost. They sang about peace, about human rights, about equality between men and women. And music was really the fuel that, that this generation was living in. Uh, and then you had the hippie movement evolving at the same time, and their law slogan is Make Love, Not War, and they campaigned for sexual freedom, for alternative lifestyles. They were pro-drugs, anti-war, they were for vegetarian and ecological values, much like today, right? Well, I became a Christian in those days, in 1968, and I tell you that the hardest challenge for me when I became a Christian it will have to do with music, because, oh no, this <laughs> is what I had to, to you know, El Quartetten, my goodness gracious, <laughs> or Einarieta, you know, it's an old opera singer, and, and, and then this, twice. <laughs> the ladies with, with, with nylon string guitars singing, songs about Jesus. And I was like, God, 
Really? Is this what it means to be a Christian? It's, oh man, I felt like I was suffering badly for the Lord. Uh, but, just a few years after this, things started to happen. And rock and roll started to come into church. And we had in Sweden bands like Jerusalem, which was a, I thought, space of really well-known rock band. In America, you know, you started to have bands like Second Chapter of Acts and, and Petra and, and all that. But suddenly, I could relate to music as a Christian. It became meaningful to me. Well, in the U.S., there was this pastor that looked upon this generation that has been campaigning sexual freedom and pro-drugs. And he saw the misery these guys were living in. He saw the misery of that lifestyle, of, of, of just taking away all the boundaries and all the rules of life. And a revival started to happen among these hippies. And there was this pastor in California that he said, we have to bring them in. You know, the harvest is, is here. We have to bring them in. So these hippies, barefoot, long hair, dirty, on drugs, hippies start to come into churches. And when they came to church, what did they do? They took their music with them. They took their pop songs, their rock and roll songs, and put Christian lyrics to it. And man, it really challenged the church. The church just was split in two. People say, I don't recognize my love church anymore, and what is happening, and where is the songs, and where is the hymns, and and, 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 and it was like, you know, a culture shock that really, really became a problem for the church. It created really a, a conflict. But you had guys like, have you heard about Larry Norman? Larry Norman was an old hippie that got Christian. And he had a song called, Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music? Yeah. yeah. I wish I had my, my, my speaker here so I could play you the song. But he just put words on it. Why must Christianity be like going into a museum? Like looking how they did it in the old days. Why can't we don't sing with the songs we love? And this is interesting because here we can bring vineyard into the picture. Because the first vineyard was started by a man called Ken Gullickson. Not really by John Wimber, as John said, but Ken Gullickson. He was a man, and there was a Bible study in, in, in uh, Los Angeles, up in Hollywood, <coughs> with two very famous Christian artists, Larry Norman and Chuck Rock. And Ken brought these Bible studies together, and they started to meet in, in, in a women's athlete club. And it grew to, I think, 13 Bible studies became a congregation, the first vineyard. And, you know, you had big names like Bob Dylan that came to the vineyard in those early days. And, of course, the music style of the vineyard was influenced by the music of the leaders, by the Larry Normans, the Chapter Rose, the Key Trees. All these names might not mean anything to you, but they are pillars of the early Christian music revolution. Uh, 
my conversion was linked to music. When I became a Christian, there was this family, they loved me, they put a guitar in my hand, they loved me to play, we started a band, we started to tour. And I basically got all my teaching from Christian songs, to be honest. Because in my church, the only message they preached was, you have to be saved. You have to be saved. And for all of us that were saved, it's like, yeah, yeah. And then, you have to be saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Christian music became my source of, of, of knowledge about God. And of course, you had the Bible. But you know, if you're 16 years old, the Bible is a hard reason. You need people to help you understand. Uh, in 83, I started working with a Christian record company. And my mission was to actually take music and to make it as a bridge over to the secular world. To use music to communicate the gospel, right? And we did that, and we were really successful the first years. We had this band in Sweden called Freda, and the lead singer, Uno Svenesson, is one of Sweden's top artists today. Left church many, many years ago. And that was the problem. That was the problem over and over again. As soon as we had some success, we saw the people leave and disappear. So that bridge we wanted to build for the message, for the gospel, to go out into the world. It just became a bridge for talented musicians to disappear. How is that? Because no church life, no teaching, just music. And you had this talent and the record company so, oh man, you can sing, you can play guitar, let's make an album. And then they made an album and then people started to say, can you come and play in my church? And you send them out there and they are 20 years old. And suddenly they become popular. And suddenly it's all about music, it's all about appearance. And then, you know, I'm not saying that everyone went that road, but, but a lot of bands, I think you agree with us, a lot of these musicians are not with us anymore. I don't judge their beliefs, but I, I don't see them actively involved in church life. And many are bitter, many are really resentful to the church. Uh, and it's on my heart all the time. You know, how can I reach them again? How can we bring them back? At that time, when the pop culture was at its peak, and the biggest thing you could do as a church was to have a concert. At that time, something called Lorsson, that's the Swedish word for praise and worship, started to be known. And it was simple songs with about Jesus, but not only about him, it was simple songs to him. And for me, as a producer, I was like, what in the world is that? It sounds lousy, the songs are really simple, it's three ladies with a guitar. Oh man, why is people buying these lousy cassettes? <laughs> and I was like, I was in shock. 
could not understand it. And it was spiritual. It was so religious. I mean, do you have to do you have to be fanatic to be Christian? I mean, we were the cool guys, right? We had learned to smoke and we had learned to drink wine. We had learned to be cool. And Christians, you know. And basically the, the, the mark of our generation was this. How far can I go? Am I still Christian? Okay. Am I still Christian? Okay. <laughs> and and because we grew up with what we call the, the, the sin Don't do you can't go to movies, you can't listen to rock and roll, you can't play sports on a Sunday, blah blah blah. You can't play cards because that's from the devil. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my history. Mm-hmm. So of course it was very, very, very uh, attractive to David to oh I can do this and can do this. Yeah. Ten years after I started, I was totally wasted. I was churchless. I was tired. I was disillusioned and I was almost bankrupt. Our company was almost collapsing. And I was fed up with Christian artists and with the egos. And then Lord Song came and it really made me mad because it's like I've done everything as professional as I can, it doesn't work. And here is this you know, law of song. And people love it. <laughs> Everything changed for me in 1993. I went to England to a music uh, meeting with the industry. And I was sitting in a room like this for eight hours listening to English worship live. And it was like, when it was four o'clock and I knew it was over, I was like, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, it's over. And I had one plan, go back to my hotel, get myself a big pint of beer and just relax. And then they say, no, 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 we are going to a place in worship night in the Pentecostal church. And I go, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and I had to follow them. But what I did, I stood by the door and I said to myself, when they start, I'll just get the taxi and go back to my hotel. So I'm standing there like, and there's packed church. And then I see on the stage, I see this Marshall amplifiers. I see this drum racer. I see tons of mics. And I go, hmm, did I hear wrong? Is it a concert? Yeah, it must be a concert. And then the guy comes in with a ponytail down here. Uh, you know, worship leaders don't have ponytails down here. They look like my father. Uh, and then this guy comes and he looks like Frank Zappa. He has baggy jeans, he has a brigade, he has a, you know, a t-shirt, and his guitar hangs down here. And I go, yeah, yeah, he's rock and roll. It was a man called Kevin Plosh, which is one of the primary founders of, of the worship movement in the Midwest. He was leading worship with John Wimber. And the church exploded. It's just exploded. I mean, five seconds into the first song, the whole church exploded. And I was standing back there, and I was like, you know, it was like, what is happening? And then I saw the lyrics on the 
on the wall. And there was something about God's splendor, about the something that just painting this big picture of God. And it started to heat in my in my feet. And and then it was like water, warm water just going all the way up. And when it came to my heart, have you have you ever taken a stick in the wood, you know, when you don't like that and you just break it over your right? That's what happened in here. It was just and I started to cry and it was like the love of God just flowed through me in a way I've never, ever, ever experienced. And a friend of mine that saw me, he said that I was even raising my hands a little bit. I mean, my, my, my position was like this all the time. And God just crashed into my life. Just God just took off the blinders. There's nothing that I can take pride in. That has nothing to do with me. It was totally God thing. That He changed my attitude, He changed my heart, He changed my understanding. And and, and it changed my life forever. That meeting. And it was through worship. It was through Lord's song that it happened. The second thing that happened was when I got back to Sweden, obviously. Maybe even it was at the same time. A friend of mine gave me a tape about uh, a sermon preached by a man called Hans Jürgensen. And the message was the, the secular Christian. It's basically, you know, this is what Christianity has become. Lame, uh, spiritless, uh, just about attitudes, no, no power, no... Nothing that really has any substance. And after his talk, I, I, I was thinking to myself, Oh, thank you, Hans, that you didn't tell them my name. <laughs> it's like, oh, that was my life story. And I, once again, I, I was like, I need to have this. And then I heard that this guy had moved to Stockholm, and he was part of a church plan. And I went there in February night in 1993, came into this cafeteria, the smell of coffee. There were some people laying on the floor. And I was like, call an ambulance. And everybody was like, no, we're sitting drinking coffee. And then someone picked out their hand and said, oh, more Lord, more Lord. And I was like, more of what? <laughs> and I was blown away. And this worship band, Ted Jeans was the worship pastor. It was, it was like putting your body into warm water. And I was, um, this was 1993, I became a Christian in 1968. This was the first time in all those years that church made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, wow, wow, this is what church is all about. Wow, this is going to be my home. And you know, this little church plant became Stockholm in and uh, I'm forever grateful for, for the time I spent there. And I realized two things, and I made a commitment. Because I felt that I cannot work as a promoter of Christian artists anymore. Not that I have anything against you. 
I don't have a problem at all. Bless every person that has a calling. But I just felt God say, you have to shift direction. Because worship is the highest calling. That's what we are created for. And everyone, especially artists, especially doctors, especially nurses, especially pastors. No, everyone needs to understand that the foundation of our lives is worship. But if you are a Christian artist, well, that's a must. If you don't build your life on that foundation, you will be lost. The second thing was that I realized that most of the artists that I work with had no clue. And they had not experienced what I had experienced. So I said to myself, if I'm going to work in the music industry, that's what I want to do the rest of my life, to be able to resource the church, to help people understand their highest calling. And then if God calls them to be the next U2, or if they just lead worship in the local church, it doesn't matter. But this is what we have to build our lives on. So what is worship? Simple question, right? What is worship? Would you be able to say, like, in one sentence what worship is? It's hard, because it depends on so many things. You know, the Romans, we are part of the Roman system, right? You want to have def definitions. Yeah, yeah, worship is one, da-da-da, two, da-da-da, three, da-da-da. The Hebrew, people of the Bible, they don't do that. They tell stories. The Bible is a story about God, but it's a story that goes over thousands of years and involves hundreds of people. That's how they tell. It's not a definition, it's a story. But sometimes we have to look for definitions, right? And this is one way to say it, that worship is simply about value. And the simplest definition I can give is this. Worship is a response to what we value most. Because every, everyone has an altar, right? Every altar has a throne. So how do we know what we worship? Well, we follow the tracks of our lives. We follow the trail of our time affections, our energy, our money, our loyalty. And then when you look at the end of that trial, you will find the throne. And whatever is on that throne is what is the highest value in your lives. So it's very interesting sometimes to just look at how we spend it all, how we spend our time. What makes us really enthusiastic? Is it a new episode of Game of Thrones, <laughs> or is it something else, right? It's just a simple exercise. For most Christians, life and the life, the meaning of life is about mission, about evangelization. Many Christians, when you ask them, you know, what is the biggest purpose of your life? They say, well, it's to tell others about Jesus. And that's how I grew up. And that was a burden in my life. A burden to always, always 
tell people about Jesus. And if you didn't, you felt bad. Oh, I should have told you. Oh, I should have witnessed. When I heard that worship is the highest calling, it was a liberation for me. It was truly liberation for me. And when I read stuff like this from John Piper, work mission is not the ultimate goal of the church, worship is. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Wow. We need to, to be a missional church because there are people that worship other gods. And as long as that exists, we're going to keep on telling people about the love of Jesus. But you are not, as Tosa said, you are not here just as a worker. God didn't mean you to just be a worker. He meant that you should be a worshiper. And if you start there, being a worshiper, well, then it's easier to also become a worker. And this is, I just want to give you some Bible, Bible uh, evidence for this. If you look at the Old Testament, you see in the Ten Commandments, it has nothing to do with music at all, right? Nothing to do with music. But you shouldn't have any other God but me. You must not make yourself an idol of any kind. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. It's, 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 it's about worship. It's about putting God first. Secondly, in the Psalms, it's a hymn book that all is about the splendor of God. And the prophets. Well, what are the prophets' biggest mission? It's always to challenge the people, saying, guys, you are not understanding what it's all about. You have your rituals, you have your ceremonies, God doesn't care about that. God cares about uh, uh, that you love your neighbor. That is what is most important. And some, in some um, book it says that I don't want to hear your songs. I'm just fed up with your music. I want you to be merciful. I want you to be kind. I want you to, to love your neighbors. Uh, so we find God often saying that true worship is to seek justice for the oppressed, right? And you have Micah, the prophet. He says that in the last day, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. And if you go to the New Testament, you have Paul with his vision of every knee bowing and every tongue confessing. You have Revelation 4 where John is just making this unbelievable picture of what's happening in front of the throne. Someone says, praise God, and the elders fall down and they throw their crowns and they sing songs of praise to God. And it's like a constant, constant circle. And then they walk up again and they put on their crowns and they climb up on their thrones. And then someone says, the Lord is good. And they go, oh, no. 
and down again, throwing the crowns in front of the throne. It's amazing. And then, of course, Jesus and the Pharisee asked him, what is the most important command? He says, well, you know, love God with everything you have. That's what it's all about. Guys, today we are facing a really huge problem, and that is the misconception that worship is when we sing songs. And to be honest, I was looking at the program this morning, and I noticed that in the program, it said for the morning meeting, it said, Worship, teaching, and ministry. What, what are we saying with that? Well, we are saying that worship is something we do at the start of the service when we sing songs. Then comes the teaching. Then comes the ministry. And I know what we mean. I, I, I fully understand what we mean. And I don't think we are all that confused. But there is a problem when we more and more and more are thinking about worship and music as it's the only way to, to worship. And we have the problem in, 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 in the English language with worship. In Sweden, we have the word lovsang. And what is it in, in Danish? And lovsang, Norway? No, no, we can see it. Okay. Lovsang. That has more to do with singing praise, right? It's more clear. We are going to, we're going to sing God's praise. But in, in English, we're going to worship. Well, worship, by definition, has to do with our lives. The sermon, the teaching, is as much worship as what we do when we sing. When we pray for each other, it's as much worship as anything. Uh, and I just think we have to be cautious because this is a temptation. This is an article in Christianity today. To be human is to worship. That much is clear in the scripture, declared in our creeds and evident from history. But while the impulse to worship seems innate, what we mean by the worship varies. Attempts to define it usually begins with the etymology of the English word worship, which is commonly understood to mean to ascribe word to someone. Also, we give value to something. As I mm -hmm. said, worship is about value. But it's also natural to think that it's primarily verbal, that is, it involves words that praise God. Would you agree with me that worship is very much today something we first and most think of related to music? Yeah, I think so. Not necessarily exclusively, but primarily, yes. I mean, we have the worship leader, right? Yeah. If you say, I'm a worship leader, what would you think I was doing? Well, 
Yeah. Uh, is a pastor a worship leader? Is someone that leads communion a worship leader? Of course. It's, in a sense, a problematic word, right? And I, and, and I, I, I think we all understand that we are not thinking that worship is just music. But we use the terminology and we, we elevate the culture that makes worship really associated with, with music. So, just for you to know, and maybe you know this, but when we speak of worship, it's a Hebrew word called histahava. <laughs> I don't speak Hebrew. Is anyone speaking Hebrew here? No? Well, that's the most common word for worship in the Bible. And it just means to lay flat on the floor. That's worship. And you see it in Psalm 5. I'm not sure you can read it. But here it says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Right? Here we sing. You have to go down to verse 6 to find the word worship. Come, let us bow down. Let us histahava in worship. Let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. It has to do with, with a posture. It has to do with the posture of your heart. It's not primarily about singing the songs. And what they say about this psalm is that when it says, come let us sing to you, for joy to the Lord. That's what they did when they were going up to the temple. They were singing songs. We're going to go to the temple. We're going to celebrate, you know, whatever feast there was. But the word that we use for worship literally means to just bow low, to fall down. And it's funny, and I, 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 I challenge myself so many times when I sing songs. Like, let us lift our hands, let us buy our I mean, we sit there in our chairs, and in many churches, people sit. Let us lift our hands in worship, let us bow our knees. Nobody bows their knees. Well, maybe someone raises their hands, but how many times do you see people obeying? the words we're singing, yeah. and actually just falling down. And once again, Hans Johansson, the pastor of uh, Stockholm Vineyard, you could see him lay flat on his floor many, many times. Remember that? And I was like, what is he doing? And then suddenly you start to understand, he's worshiping. <laughs> he's not singing, but he's physically using his body to manifest that you are and I'm not. You are the I am, I am not. And, and so what happens to a generation then that comes to church because it's cool worship, that comes to hear the favorite songs, to come to enjoy great band. Is it wrong? No, of course it's not. 
But if that becomes the focus, if that is what worship is ending up with, then I think we are totally missing the goal. And suddenly the worship is something that comes between me and God. And this challenge, this tension, I mean, uh, Oscar and Tina and everybody that leads worship is aware of this. There is a tension. I want to do my best. I should do my best. I want to practice because that's clear. God's pleasing. I really want to be able to sing the best I can. I really want to be playing the best I can. But I also want to be so sensitive to what God is doing that I can skip that favorite song of mine because it was just me wanting to play that great song. Mm-hmm. Now, now God is saying, I'm going in another direction. I'm going in another direction. Just what David said, Wow, Lord, of course, let's go there. And, and you know, we that can really be start. your worship. Huh? That can be your worship as a worship leader. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We spoke about, you've been to the festival Gullbrana, which is the biggest Christian festival in Sweden. And you said it was great, but you said you struggled with the concept of worship concepts. And I mean, I'm in the industry, right? I'm supposed to sell music. That's what I'm here for. I'm supposed to sell the Beatles and the Jesus culture and the Chris Tomlins. It's like, I recently started to ask myself, why? Why should I spend time to sell Chris Tomlin? I mean, he's a great guy. I mean, he's beautiful songs. But why should I just be a servant of the American music industry? Is that? Why should we sing these American songs? What in the world is it that, that we have an industry that doesn't let Danish, Norwegian, and Swedish songs flow? No, no, no. They control it. It's sad, but it's true. They control it, and they don't let anybody else into the circle. And the Hill songs and all these, they, they make tons of money. And there is nothing wrong with that either. But when you start to control things, to keep the money flow, well, then you have a problem. That happened to Vineyard. When Vineyard Music started, what was the reason for Vineyard Music to start? Well, John was out in the world preaching, and he had a worship team with him, and they sang the songs, and people were blown away by the Kevin Bosch or whoever led worship. And he said, we're going to have these songs. They mean the world to us. So they made a recording. And people bought the record, and money came in, and they said, we want to have another one. Okay, well, let's employ someone and we can do this. And then it started to grow. We need two people. We need three. We need five. When we did an album in 1997 for Vinyl Music in Stockholm, they had 70 people employed. It's a machine, right? You need to feed the machine. You need to pay the salaries. How do you do that? Yeah, new albums, new songs. Keep it going. Instead of the beginning, when there were songs born in the relation with a ministry of John, and the songs just was a blessing to the church. Instead, now we produce songs and try to make people sing the songs. It's a big, big challenge. 
And uh, and I'm in the middle of it, and I'm struggling with it, as I said in the beginning. I'm just in a big struggle right now. How do we do this in a God-pleasing way? What are the traps that we can fall into, and how do we avoid them? How do we do it in the vineyard? Well, the vineyard has five... I will end with this because time has flowered. But the vineyard has this picture is really have you seen this picture? <laughs> it's the worship evolution. <laughs> you know, from the here I am Lord to, here I am, guys. <laughs> well, that was, we take that another time. Uh, here, vineyard's highest priority is worship. And, and they say that on the webpage, they say that the vineyard movement is at its very roots a worship movement. And there, there are five worship values that we really try to protect. And that should be something that every worship leader in the vineyard should be aware of, these five values. It has to do with intimacy. And that has to do with not a musical style or a tone or a voice. It's a posture of our heart. Coming to the Father draw near to God, knowing that he will draw near to us. And that's something that I lack in so many churches I visit. The worship is, is not that often filled with intimacy. I think Wiener has a gift, has something to give to the body of Christ with intimacy. That's how I met God. That's almost the time when my worship is most genuine. Uh, it's, it's in the terms of intimacy. Do you, would you say that uh, uh, you can see the value of intimacy reflected in the more modern vineyard worship music uh, to the same degree as it was in the 90s, for example? No. no. But to be honest with you, I have had a season where I haven't listened to much music at all. Yeah. I've just stayed out of, of, of all the new releases. Just because I felt I had a time of, of, of time off from, from music. But when I, when I look for songs, I go back to uh, the early vineyard songs. Purify uh, You know, these songs. They, they, maybe it's because I'm old. Maybe because I'm sentimental. I don't know. Or is there something with these songs? I love the song you sang last night after the teaching, after the after the the first song. First love. First love. I wept. I was like, wow. I hadn't never heard it. And it just went right into my heart. It was carrying something. Secondly, accessibility, of course. Uh, 
we need to bring people into a journey of worship. And we need to do that by making it as easy as possible. You know, turn down the lights, maybe. Turn down the volume. Pick a key that people can sing in. Not starting with a song in, in uh, or any stuff. Seven meters. You know, we had a worship leader in, in Umeå. He started off with an old Swedish folk song in seven tak. It was impossible to sing. Nobody could sing it. And it was like the first song of the service. And I was like, hmm, where were you when we had the lesson on worship values in the vineyard? Uh, Integrity really is a challenge, and I wish we could spend the whole seminar on the value of integrity. That what we do there match what the lives that we they live. And we also believe that worship can can um, uh, transform the community. That when you worship, you are being transformed, right? Otherwise, it also about becomes something we do to to make the service, uh, you know, nicer. And then we have the kingdom expectation that we believe that anything can happen while we worship. God will speak to you. God will move. God will heal you. God will maybe deliver you. Everything can happen as we sing his praises. And then the fifth value that Vinaya puts is on passion. That we express the fire we have in our heart for God. So there is a time for intimacy and there is a time for praise and, and rejoicing and, and just showing with our body. And sometimes, I have to be honest, the most praising time of the camp has been the Friday night concert. <laughs> when all the pastors never has been dancing and sweating and dancing to just soul music or whatever it's been up there. I mean, we've been rejoicing with our bodies and just loving life and loving good music. Maybe sometimes we need a little more of that in our worship as well. Guys, thank you. I know I've been talking a lot. I know I've been flooding you with information, but uh, in fact, to start late, let's just go through the prayer. I want to bless my friends in this room, Lord. And uh, wow, we are on a journey. And one day we will all stand there in front of your throne. One day there will be nothing that stops us from worshiping with our body, mind, and soul. One day we will see you. And the only response that is possible when we see you will be that we will fall down, we will raise our hands, we will sing, we will shout, we will fall down, we will thank you. We will tap some on the shoulder and point you and say, that's my God, what? Do, do you see what I see? And they say back, yeah, I see what you see. And you sing together. And Lord, let us just come closer to the essence of what worship is all about.
help us to, you know, in, in, when we are worship leader, help us to, to deal with the challenges we face. And just help us to keep our hearts pure. Bless the camp. Bless the meal we're about to have. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to the Vineyard Nordic Podcast. For more information, please visit the Vineyard Nordic's website, vineyardnordic.org.